It was a tragedy that shocked Ireland and beyond. On January the 24th, 2020, the bodies of three children aged just nine, seven and three were discovered at their Dublin home. Connor, Dara and Carla McGinley lost their lives to homicide. Their mother, Deirdre Morley, also known as Dee, was arrested on suspicion of their murders. In May 2021, the 44-year-old paediatric nurse was found not guilty of their murders by reason of insanity. Her trial, which revealed the horrific details of how she took her children's lives, raised serious questions over the care and treatment of psychiatric patients in the country. Deirdre's husband Andrew publicly said he believed their children would still be alive had mental health services involved him in her care. In a powerful, open and emotional conversation with the No Edit podcast, Andrew McGinley talks about his unimaginable loss, his ongoing battle with grief and the legacy he hopes to create for his children. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me today. I suppose the first question has to be, where have you found the strength that has carried you over the last two years? It's um, it's just purely from the kids. Um, I saw a social media post from Fiona Donoghue uh, a few weeks back, um, who's the mother of uh, Noah, who died tragically in, in Belfast. And she spoke about that first thing in the mornings, that that's when it hits you that you you know you're not going to get a hug and 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 that um, first thing in the morning, and that's when it it hits you. Just every I I try and set my alarm off every morning um, early so I can get up and and get out and go for a walk or or do something. So as soon as the alarm goes off, it it just hits you like a sledgehammer, and uh, and then you need to get up and get going after that. Um, it's, it's, but it's the kids, it's the projects that I'm doing uh, for the kids that gets me to put one foot out and, and, and then the other foot and to start the day. And it's, it's them and the legacy projects that I'm doing and their memory that, um, that drives me on. And that's where I, where I, I get whatever strength I have from. And one of those projects is the Connors Clips. YouTube channel and Twitter page where you've been sharing so many beautiful and treasured videos and photographs of the kids and that's in memory of Connor who was nine and who wanted to become a YouTube star and then you have the As Dara Did charity set up in memory of seven-year-old Dara and there is also the Snowman for Carla colouring in competition in memory of three-year-old Carla. How did you sit down and think up each of those projects and relate it specifically and individually to each child? Well, it was uh, the the promises, I suppose, that, that are behind each one of those legacy projects sort of came to me when I was standing outside the house uh, the night they died. Um, you're 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 in shock. You're traumatized. You're everything else. And I just remember standing outside the house, looking at the house, and it was sort of bathed in blue lights from everybody from the the fire brigade to the guards to the ambulance, and you just think about you're never going to see the kids again. And um, 
So you, you just think about the last time you spoke to them, the last time you held them, kissed them. And, and for me, I got thinking about the last promises that I, I'd made that I hadn't got round to keeping. Um, you always make promises to your kids that you, you, you keep. And, but these were sort of, uh, ones, um, that I hadn't sort of got round to, to, to keeping. For Connor, Connor wanted to, he had asked me, it was actually the week, it was Christmas week. We were sitting at this table having dinner. And he, he asked me to help him set up a YouTube channel. Uh, so uh, like any parent, you go, ah, oh, yeah, of course. And I, I had no idea how we'd go about it or what, what was behind the YouTube channel. But yeah, you just, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll do it. So we had a chat about what he wanted to put on it. And I still have the notepad over there of, uh, some of the, the ideas that he had. And, uh, it was going to end up being just little comedy clips. Uh, and as you can imagine, the sense of humor of a nine-year-old, they were just daft and silly, but they were just, they, they were going to be just fun little clips that we were going to film. Uh, we were, you know, everybody was going to be involved from Dee and myself and, and the three kids. So that's how Connor's clips came about. But all I had was the videos that I had of, of Connor, Dara and Carla. Um, so that's what I, I, I put on his channel. And then I, I support that on, on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, just to let people know if there's new clips on and, and other bits and pieces that I do in, in memory of the kids. And somebody asked me about how does it, you know, when I want why do I do it? And, 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 and what feeling do I get out of it? For me, you know, it, it, it's not joy and it's not happiness. But it's love. So behind every tweet or every picture that I post, it's just a huge amount of love, which lifts me. Um, as I say, I don't call it joy or, or happiness. I, I just call it love. And, um, and that's why, why I do that with, with Connor's clips. And, and sometimes uh, people will see that I, I tend to maybe post in the mornings. Uh, I'll have gone out for a walk or I'll have gone out and, and done something and on my way home I'll call into the graveyard and I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll almost chat to the kids about this is the photograph for today and this is what I'm going to write about it and, you know, um, and, and so Connor's clips is there and, and for Carla, Carla wanted a, um, a snowman. Again, it was November 2019. We got a, a slight flurry of snow. And I was able to scrape enough snow together to make a snowman about the size of a pint glass. And I remember her looking at me going, is that it? Uh, and so I promised her that when there'd be more snow, we'd, we'd build a bigger snowman. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't had more snow. But um, next weekend, the weekend of the uh, Saturday the 13th, we're launching the Snowman for Carla colouring competition. Uh, through the independent newspaper and through her website, which is snowmanforcarla.ie. Uh, so you can download and, and submit. And there's, uh, I think there's about a thousand euros worth of prizes, uh, that we have there for, uh, for the competition. And then Dara at the moment, um, Dara wanted me to coach with Rathcool Boys, his, is the football team that himself and, and Connor played with. But Dara was involved in, in everything. He was, he was in the hurling, in commercials hurling in, in Rathcool there. He was in, uh, Niwara GAA. He was in Rathcool Boys Soccer. He tried out for the athletics. 
He had just joined Connor in the in the drama club. Daryl was about getting involved. So I'm 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 up there coaching with Rathcoe boys, but I wanted to do as I say, Daryl was about much more than that. Uh so we've launched the charity, which is called As Dara Did. And it's to encourage people to get involved or to help clubs and societies to get people involved as Dara did because he just got involved. You'd, you'd be putting on your coat or if you reached for your keys, Dara was like, where are you going? Can I come with you? He just wanted to uh, be involved. And uh, I was only chatting to my sister there about it uh, the day before last about my mum was totally the same. Uh, Granny Marie was... Uh, You'd be putting on your coat and she'd go, Oh, where are you going? Can I come? You know, and just mum like being involved and in everything. And, and, and that reminds me of Dara. So the charity is there as, as Dara did. So they're, they're all based on promises that I had made to the, 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 the kids. And, um, in a way it, it, for me, it keeps their, they had such short lives that it kind of gives them life. It's, it, it helps, uh, keeps the, uh, it keeps their memories alive. I mean, their lives just seemed to be full of fun and activities. What was the last Christmas like with them? It had to be special. Ah, yeah. I mean, we all loved Christmas. I think I was a, uh, the biggest kid at Christmas. It was it's the one time of year. I think it was I used to work abroad for a good few years. And I remember when they were, were doing the, the holiday rosters every sort of spring and everybody else would be looking for two weeks in the summer off. Whereas I would look for two or three weeks at Christmas, uh, so I could come home to to Ireland, and uh, so Christmas was always a, a special time for me. I used to always try and have the tree up at the end of November. I used to, I remember, I used to say to to Dee, uh, "I'm, you know, I'm working the weekends in December. I, I haven't worked weekends in thirty years, and uh, but I, it was just an excuse to get the tree up sooner rather than later." Um, so yeah, and and Christmas was always a, a, a special time, and uh, the focus for for us um, was even though D D wasn't well, was that the kids would that we would keep life as normal as possible for the kids. So I suppose over the last uh, year or so, that was where my focus was was trying to keep life normal for the for the children, and that's what we we had sort of spoken about and, and agreed that that's was best for the, for the kids. Um, so that's where, yeah, so cr- the last Christmas was um, was quite special. But, um, yeah. You mentioned Dee there, Andrew, and Dee was your wife. And we know from what we've watched on the news, what we've read in newspapers, how your children came to lose their lives. And, I mean, mental health conversations are so important. But they're also so complex because everyone's battle is so different. Every case is so different. And it's difficult. And it's difficult for a family to go through. I mean, what was it like for Dee and you as a family dealing with those mental health issues? I... I don't want to to speak too much about uh, her her medical records or anything like that. Um, but myself and and Dee sort of had agreed that we we needed to keep life as normal as possible for the children. So that's where my focus was. But looking back, I I just wished that 
the clinicians treating D had had included us more or me more um, because what I know now about mental health is infinitely more than what I knew at the time. I believed that when D was was ill that she was in the best place and she was getting the best treatment. Um, but I I I I would have needed guidance because. If you have a patient who is attending a one-hour counselling session or maybe two hours a week with the, the professional services, for the other 160-odd hours, they're back in the family home. Um, to this day, as I sit chatting to you, nobody uh, has spoken to me about, you know, none of the professionals treating D have, have asked me what life was like with D, and I feel that I would have been a valuable source of information to them. But at the time, when mental health illness hits your family, you, you don't know that. You, you, you end up, I feel it's a bit like crisis management. For me, chatting to Dee, we agreed that to, to, for me to focus on the children. So that's kind of what I did. But you do so in the belief that the professionals are, are, had been dealing with Dee. But I just wish they had of, uh, included included me more um there is some aspects of the mental health act that i feel need to be changed to to encourage more uh, family inclusion where there is a loving and support supportive uh, family circle or, or support circle for the patient i can't see any downside to that uh, in fact the college of psychiatry in 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 ireland actively support or or they wrote an article uh, the head of the college William Flannery wrote an article in the Irish Times stating that the majority, the vast majority of the college are in favour of family inclusion to help the patient. So if they're, if they're all in favour of it, then write it into the law. At the moment, it's only in there as a recommendation. Um, and I think we all know that recommendations aren't really worth the paper that they're written on. Um, certainly, I would see information that came out at the trial or that I'd be aware of now that had I been aware of at the time from the professionals treating D, then I would have made different decisions or I believe there would have been different outcomes had I been involved. And that's that's deeply upsetting. Um, I, I can't see any downside to it. Um, Do you feel angry? I, I don't want to feel angry. Um, but you do get... You, I, I tried... Suppressing the anger is the wrong word, but I, I don't want to be angry. The kids wouldn't want me to be angry. Um, but, you, you know, you seek information. Now that's all I, I have is uh, uh, is I need answers. I, I see there's information that came out at the trial that I was only hearing for the first time. So that was deeply upsetting. And you wonder why nobody told you why was I only hearing certain information for the first time at the trial. And have you asked that question, Andrew? Why was I not told? Well, there is going to be a HSE review. Um, they have committed to doing a review, so that's being commissioned at the moment. So um, I hope that that um, we will understand more from that review. Um, but a lot of it is down to, I mean, had, they, had the clinicians sort of looked at the recommendations and if they felt it was a positive for the family to be included 
that include me. Um, I, I just cannot see a downside to to um, to family inclusion for where there is a supportive network of people around the the patient. Um, I I sought um, minutes of a meeting that I attended, and they were supplied to me. They were or they were supplied. They were redacted, and I just think, why am I being provided with redacted minutes of a meeting that I attended? It just seems that it doesn't. I feel that in certain circumstances, I'm not being helped to find those answers. But I'm hoping that the HSE review will be able to um, provide me with with some more answers. Um, that's that's the hope. But I I don't want to get angry about it. There's other things that that are going on that. I, I, I feel angry about, but I, I don't want to be angry. It's the last emotion that I want uh, to have. Um, I just want to live positively and, and, and with, the, uh, with, with the love that I have for the kids. Take me back to the last day you spent with your children. That was the Thursday. Um, I was working away from home um, uh, on the Thursday and the Friday, so I, I left on the on the Thursday morning, and I wasn't due back until the the, the Friday. But um, you, you know, Dee was a, a like she she was a loving mother. Um, there was no indication for me that there was anything wrong. Um, Dee had been chatting about going back to work, so. I think we were at, um, we were all thinking that, uh, actually, Dee, that, that we were sort of nearly at the end of the tunnel, that we were, you know, Dee was very positive and, uh, as I say, talking about going back to work. Um, she was a fully functioning member of the family and it was a loving family. Um, she was doing school drops, making lunches, to, you know, ironing uniforms, doing everything for the kids. So there was absolutely no indication of anything being being wrong. Um, but I now know that the professionals treating D held a different opinion. So that is deeply trouble, troubling that they had, I, I suppose, a completely opposing view of D's health than what we had. Um, we were of the opinion she was getting better. They were of the, I think, of the opinion that she wasn't. And um, there's certainly information, as I say, that I that I know now that I didn't know then. And I wonder why I, I wasn't informed or, you know, uh, because, let's say, Dee was effectively in the house 24-7, aside, you know, from two hours of... of, of meeting with uh, with the professional services um so i think every patient who's currently being treated i i think families needed to be need to be included because the, those patients are for the vast majority of the time back in the family home andrew you said there that the medical professionals were fully aware that Dee's mental health was getting worse had they an action plan in place on how they were going to treat her? Well, nothing that's been that was shared with with me. Um, 
it came out at the trial. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to speak about stuff that, um, well, not happy, happy is the wrong word, but I can speak about, um, information that came out at the trial. Um, the professional services were seeking D to, um, to go back in as an inpatient. Um, uh, such was their opinion on her mental health. Whereas she had expressed a desire to go back to work. So we were thinking, well, I was thinking that, um, she was improving and that, you know, she was, uh, recovering and, um, that, yeah, we were, you know, we were going to go back to, to sort of a, a, a life of normality. Um, and again, this recommendation, the impact of it would have been huge for your family. Dee was a mother to three children. She was an integral part of the family home. And their analysis was that she needed to go back into hospital for treatment as an inpatient. Yet you weren't told about this. Um, well, they, again, there's patient confidentiality. Um, there's areas in the Mental Health Act that look at the capacity of a patient, whether they have the capacity to make a decision. Uh, whereas their professional opinion may have been that she had the capacity to make an, uh, make a decision. I firmly believe that no thought was given to the consequences of that decision. Because looking at it now, I know that Dee didn't want to go back in as an inpatient. And I knew that she knew herself that she couldn't stay out because she wasn't improving. So neither option was, I suppose, palatable to her. So whereas the professionals may have thought their focus, focus was on her capacity to make a decision, I feel that she wasn't being given uh, or no thought was given to actually the consequences or whether the two options being presented were anyway um, appealing to, to, to Dee and, and I would know that they weren't. So it is sort of it is, it's, the, the whole thing is troubling. Um, so I, I am still campaigning for some changes to be made and, and to the Mental Health Act. Um, those changes are, are similar to what, um, as the lady Una Butler in, um, uh, in Cork, um, her two daughters, Zoe and Ella, their lives were taken, um, by their father back in, uh, 2010. And Una campaigned for changes to the Mental Health Act. And had she been listened to back then, then I would believe that the changes that she was campaigning for would have saved the lives of Connor, Darren, Carla. So now, 10 years after her tragedy, we have uh, another tragedy. So both of us are now trying to campaign. I don't feel that we are being listened to. I've seen the amendments that uh, have been released for the for changes proposed changes to the Mental Health Act. Um, I can only describe them as being a, a reshuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic, uh, with some additional backside covering added in. I don't feel that there's any substantial change to the benefit of the patients within the proposed amendments. I I feel that they're process driven um that the act itself is just focuses on process and, and ensuring that boxes are ticked 
is not patient-centric and certainly no consideration in there to look at that everybody is different, that their circumstances are different. There just doesn't seem to be a patient-centric approach to mental health and the Mental Health Act. So I'll, I'll continue to shout long and hard about that, as will Una. Um, and hopefully that a realisation will come that that there needs to be a serious change to the approach uh, to mental health in the country. I mean, it can only be described as astounding and frightening that we've had the deaths of at least five innocent children and the government are still not making the changes that need to happen, quite clearly need to happen to save lives. I, I appreciate the difficulty that the government do have. I mean, the Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, I, I met her. She's an absolutely lovely person and I do think she's doing her best, but I suppose she relies on the professional services. So if the professional services have no desire to change, then the advice being given to her is is that of no change. Um, as I say, it just seems to be some additional backside covering that I can see in the amendments. There's a huge amount of consideration given to the capacity of patients. But again, as I mentioned before, no consideration to a patient whilst they may have the capacity, no consideration given to the consequences of, of having to make a decision or a change in their treatment. Um, the, the law needs to be more patient-centric. That's, I suppose, what I can say about that. So the government, I, I, I feel, need to be brave brave enough, I suppose, to turn around and say, well, listen, what changes are in these amendments that will prevent more deaths? And it's not just deaths of five children. Uh, it's not just Connor, Dara and Carla and Zoe and Ella. You can look back over 20 years and you can probably identify about 50-odd children who have passed away at the hands of one of their parents. And those parents were in the... Um, were being... We're in treatment for their mental health. Those are the stats that are there. Um, so they, I, I just wish that, I think there needs to be a, a step taken back and, and look at it from a patient and a family approach as opposed to just ticking boxes. Because fine, I'm sure in our case, all the boxes were ticked. But Connor, Darren, Carla are dead. You have been very open. And you have spoken publicly about the day your children lost their lives. And I think one of the biggest things that jumps out at people is there were no signs. For me, there needs to be a realisation for people of what mental health, uh, mental health illness is like. Um, Dee actually engaged with people at the school and... and, and on that day after Dara and Carla had died and those people that she engaged with, you know, seen no issue or no problem. I had a number of phone calls with Dee that day. Again, no indication. She responded to text messages that day. That information came out at the trial. <sighs> That's what I suppose is, is troubling about uh, a mental health illness. 
So until we all understand that and that there's a different approach to treating mental health patients, uh, further tragedies, I feel, will still occur. So I think people need to have a better understanding and the professionals treating mental health patients need to realise that the family, once there is a loving and supportive circle of people to support the patient, then it's to their benefit, it's to the benefit of the patient and to the benefit of the clinicians. The beautiful eulogy you gave for your children on the day of their funerals talked about love, compassion and mending hearts. Has the love and compassion shown to you, mostly by strangers, helped you in any way? I remember, um, I think it was first mentioned to me about a eulogy on the the Saturday, the the day after the kids died. And I thought, oh God, I'll, I'll never be able to do a eulogy. I won't be able to stand up and speak. And I think it was on the Sunday evening. I could, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I, I, I sat up, I think it was about two o'clock in the morning. I started just writing about the kids. And by six o'clock, I'd finished what was essentially the eulogy. And between then and, and me delivering the eulogy, I, I really didn't change too much at all. Um, on the Monday, Tuesday, I spoke to my brothers and sisters about, you know, I may need them to deliver it or, because I didn't think I would be able to. But by the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was, now if any of you come near me, uh, I'll push you off the, the altar. I I need to do this. I need to deliver it. Um, I I need to be heard. And should you all have to sit in the church for three or four hours, listen to me sob and, and bawl, then that's what you will have to do. I need to deliver this eulogy. I need to speak about the kids. So that's how that came about. Um, I often think about uh, COVID hits shortly after that. I mean, for me, it was it was the hugs and 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 everything that that I got during the wake and the funeral and and people just being able to come up and and throw their arms around me um, got me through. In all honesty, um, and then uh, when COVID hit, I just think of you know people standing beside their, the, the graves of their loved ones with, with six people and having to deny people the opportunity to be at a funeral because, because of COVID. I, I, I would have, yeah, I, I think I probably wouldn't have got through the funeral had there just been a handful, had there just been six of us. It just would have been unbearable. Um, but um, yeah, the, the the support I get is is fantastic. It's what, it's what carries me through. So you know, if I do, uh, if you know, with the snowman for Carla, the coloring competition, you know, it'll be great to see the entries coming in because um, I know that Carla would love to have seen that. As I say, with with Dara, the pride that he would get to 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 see people run around a, a football field with his name on the front of their jerseys. You know, so there, there's, there's, for people to, to want to, to engage with me on the charity and, and the Connors clips and everything, it, it lifts me. And as I say, it, it fills me with love. And I'm sitting beside you and I can see the smile come across your face when you talk about the projects and, and what they would mean to your children. Does that help you go on and get up every day? 
They are. I mean, and and then the other one is is the books. Um, what I hope to write is uh, some children's books based on characters that Connor and Dara wrote about. Um, there's a, a box over there that you can see that's full of their homemade comics and books. Um, they had several sort of unique characters, so um, I'm going to take some of those characters and, and write children's books. That's the hope, um, and hopefully people will will buy them when I when I get them done. Um, but again, whereas Connor, Darren, and Carla won't be the main characters in the books, they'll be in there as supporting characters because they're they're based on uh, on, on um, characters that um, Connor and Darren wrote about. And uh, yeah, so that that lifts me. And every time I, I get an opportunity to sit down and and write, it it again it, it's it's uh, from a place of love, and and then that drives me on. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the sort of four projects that I'm I'm working on now at the moment. And as I say, they they do lift me. Everybody says that I I visibly lift when I uh, when I start chatting about them. You had hope to launch the projects on the late late show on RTE but that had to be cancelled um I, I I don't want to dwell too much on that but we were going to launch Dara's charity uh, on the late late show um <clears throat> I think a, a small section of um, of the um, uh, Deirdre's siblings um, wrote to the late late show to say that they felt it would be a painful experience for them to hear me chat about the children on the late late show um so um unfortunately that that appearance isn't going ahead um i i i don't really understand that uh decision um far from it being painful i think talking about the legacy pro projects is is a positive thing um, it keeps their memory alive, so I I, I don't understand why, it, it and it seems to be something that has, has split the the Morley family because some are, are contacting me with encouragement to to carry on doing what I'm doing, whereas um um there's there's three members of the family who who um who don't wish me to to be doing I suppose or talking about the children. But that's difficult. I know it's a difficult situation for, for me. These projects drive me on and 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 give me the give me the strength to to, as I say, get as we, as we mentioned to get out of bed in the morning. It was a, a great sense of joy for me to to I I launched some Connor's clips t shirts and hoodies and stuff, and all their school friends came round to have their photographs taken and and it was. You know, uh, I had mentioned that I uh, I was going to be on the the late late show, and it was um, so all their friends were going to be allowed to stay up to watch it, and and the late late show was an entertainment show, and for me it was going to be the launch of, of our our concert with Daniel O'Donnell. So it was it for me it was going to be a, a very positive conversation, and but I think they expressed in their communication to the late late show that it would be painful to hear me talking about the children maybe what what may be painful for them for me is a is a huge positive for me because that lifts me chatting about the children and certainly appearing on the late late show chatting about the charity i think would have been worth about uh i, I kind of figure about uh, ten thousand raffle ticket sales which is about a hundred thousand euros I, i'll fight on to 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 try and recover that i need to do this 
for me and, and as I say, for friends of the children, for the teachers who reach out and who want to do stuff in memory of the children, the football coaches who the kids would have seen two or three times a week. I think it's 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 sound the way that, that the three people who who are objecting and who've seen the, the, the kids a handful of times a year would would feel that way. Um but um, I, I hope that they can see the the positive behind talking about the, the children and, and these projects. Grief affects everyone so differently and there's no doubt so many people are grieving after losing Connor, Dara and Carla. Part of your grieving process is to promote positivity from their legacy projects and I just wonder if perhaps a consideration was given to not watch the programme instead of contributing to taking that platform away? Um, yeah, I, uh, I I agree with that, but I, I don't want to dwell on it. Um, if if I just want to, to move forward positively um, with these projects in memory of the children, if, if people want to um, try and, and, and stop that. Um, it, it, it's, it's sad. Um, but I, I'll, I'll find a way to carry on. Um, I need to do it for, for me and for the kids and, and for their friends, for their, for their teachers, for their coaches, for people who actually knew the kids, um, on a, on a regular basis. What comes across to me and many others, Andrew, is just how caring you are. I mean, you just have to look at Connor's clips on YouTube and Twitter and the videos and and some of the, the comments you put up, how caring you are. You had actually wanted to spare the jury and others the traumatising details of how your children died. And they are traumatic. I'm not going to repeat them on here. Is that something that you think needs to change or... Are you fully understanding of it was a jury trial? Those details had to be heard. I understand it, but I don't accept it. <laughs> um, is there any benefit to anybody for having heard the graphic details? I don't think so. Um, I had been told, I suppose, the details back in, um, it was Easter, 2000, uh, sorry, Easter 2020. So I, I probably knew uh, a good year or more in advance of the trial, but still again, hearing again and, and, um, at the coroner's court, which is coming up now in a, in a uh, I think in the new year, I'll have to relive them again. Um, it's, it's, it was something that I, I hoped that could be avoided. Um, I have, I know that there's people who find it difficult. To see me or, 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 you know, speak to me even because of the detail that came out. I only just became aware of, um, um, a, a family friend who has, is, who hasn't been back to work since the, the trial because, um, they knew the, the kids and you, myself and Dee, and they just, they're struggling with, with the detail. Um, so they haven't been able to go back to work. Um, I know that there's people who 
who would have been in reasonable contact with me up until the trial and that they haven't. And I suspect that could be that they just don't know what to say to me. Um, I would encourage people, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still the same person I was. Um, does that hurt, Andrew? I, 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 I don't understand. Well, it's not that I don't understand it. I understand that they're, they're upset because I knew the kids and they knew myself and they knew D. Um, but they're struggling with it. They're struggling to make sense of it. I'm, I still struggle to make sense of it. Um, but I can understand that maybe, you know, people, seeing me or or speaking to me it just brings up the detail from the trial and they don't possibly want to to think about that so i understand it it is it, it, it kind of not upsets me in a way but i it's i just wish that they would have a have a, a different mindset on it um what happened happened we can't turn back time um, I, as I say, I hope to get more answers from the HSE review to understand more, but it's more about an understanding and hopefully to, to help with a campaign to, so that this doesn't happen again. You had said following the trial in May that the verdict, which was that Dee was not guilty of the murder of your three children by reason of insanity, was probably the right one. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I, I I can't think of what happened as anything other than insanity. Um, but it it's trying to understand insanity because the normality of our life before this happened, as I said, um, life was Dee was a, a a fully functioning member of a loving household making the lunches and, and reading bedtime stories and you know I, I I by the definition of insanity I I wasn't living with somebody who was insane um D was as I say was was a loving mother um so it's 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 difficult for me to understand how how this happened and I would imagine it's the same for many people listening to this. If you have no experience of mental health, you will struggle to understand how it happened. But it did. Um, and I'm no closer to understanding insanity, but I cannot think of this as other, uh, this has been anything other than an act of insanity. Have you seen or spoken to the since? The children lost their lives. Um, I have. Um, um, I don't. Again, I don't. It's nothing. It's nothing that I I, I want to dwell on. But I I would feel that um, there is a difference between what the professionals would call a, the capacity of a of a patient, and for me, knowing somebody for eighteen years. Um, I, I didn't feel that the person that I met or that I saw at the trial was anywhere near uh, the person that I knew for 18 years. Has forgiveness crossed your mind? Um, we were together, as I say, for 18 years. Um, I loved Dee. I, I, I have to say I loved her up until th that day. Um, There's still, I suppose, you, you just don't 
um, the emotions of, of loving somebody just don't disappear. Um, but with what happened, I, 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 I can't forgive the act. I can't forgive what happened to kids. Um, and that's, that's, but that's on me. I need to work my way through that. But um, I can't forgive the deaths of the children. And that's the thing. The day you lost your children, you also lost your partner. And you've been forced into forging a new life. How is it getting up each day and, and trying to build that new life? Uh, there's there's things that I, I, I suppose I used to do when I was at work that would take me five minutes. Now it's kind of stretched out to an hour or two. Sometimes I sit down and I may have to send an email to somebody and it could be, you know, hi Patricia. And then two hours later, I find that I've been staring at the screen and all I've written is hi Patricia. Do you know, uh, some days you function, some days you just don't. Uh, there's more times that you don't function, that you're just lost in, in thought. Um, but um, that's, it is, as a, the first minute when the alarm goes off, you're hit with a sledgehammer off. The kids are, are, aren't there to anymore. And then you recover from that. And it is just minute by minute after that. You had said that you try to visit their graves almost every single day and you speak to them when you're there. And we're sitting in your home right now, the house that you shared with them and their pictures are still on the wall and their toys are in the corner. Do you feel closer to them when you're here, Andrew? Um, I, I Everywhere I look, I can see somewhere where like I'm... I'm facing the stairs. Connor used to try and come down the stairs over the banisters without touching the stairs. Do you know? Um, and that makes me smile when I, when I, when I, I can almost picture him now. The Christmas lights are on the stairs. So the deal was, um, that the Christmas lights would stay up until the end of January. Um, if they helped me take down the Christmas tree and everything else, because the lads love the lights. They go all the way up through the house, up to their bedrooms. Um, so the Christmas lights are still there because we, you know, they passed away on the twenty fourth of January, so we never got to the end of January. Um, so I look at those lights. I, I I look at them with love, as opposed to 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 sadness. So everywhere I do look, I can I can picture uh, uh, happy moments uh, with the kids, as opposed to uh, anything else. You went and seen a medium very recently and apparently it was a very interesting experience. What made you want to go and see a medium? And is it to do with being spiritual? Are you spiritual? No, I wasn't uh, religious or spiritual and I'm still not. Um, I had an experience with distance healing that it's it's a it's a it's a long story, but uh, I had uh, an experience that kind of opened my eyes to that there might be something else. So a few people suggested that I go and see a medium, uh, and I did. Um, she told me about a dozen things that nobody nobody else could know except me and the kids. Uh, she told me a secret that Dara told me about two weeks before he died, um, and I thought. I'll, I'll do this. I'll sort this out for him. Um, I, I didn't tell anybody else. I didn't want to worry D about it or anything. Well, it wasn't, not, it wasn't anything to worry about. 
But uh, it was unique and you would never guess it. But I, I, so only myself and Dara knew it. So for her to be able to tell me that word for word, I kind of think that she only got that from Dara. <laughs> One of the first things she, she said to me was, um, she said, who would you like to speak to? And I said, well, I thought, I, looking at it, I thought, Connor, whatever chance of I have of speaking to anybody, it's Connor. So I said, Connor, and she looks at me and she goes, Connor would like you to take his white football boots out of the wardrobe and put them out beside Dara's shoes. And I had a pair of Dara's shoes out on the top of a, a chest of drawers. And uh, Connor's white football boots were in the wardrobe. Wow. Uh, so nobody's been in that bedroom, especially not a, a medium from Wexford. So <laughs> how, and, and she mentioned Dara's name without me mentioning Dara's wow. name. So there was about a dozen things um, that she talked about that nobody would know other than me and the kids. Um, I went back to her about four or five weeks ago. And again, she told me uh, stuff about the uh, uh, from the kids and, and, and stuff that I mean, I'm, I'm logical and I'm practical enough to think that if somebody tells you, oh, the kids don't want you to be sad, you know, they're just they could be just saying that. But when it's tied in with something that nobody else could know except me and the kids, you go, oh, right. OK. And there's quite a bit of that that she was able to tell me stuff that only I know or the kids know. Wow. So I kind of believe now that you're, I call it your spirit or your energy, because I think there's something in each of us, your consciousness. I mean, what makes you make decisions? It's not your skin and bones. It's not your nervous system. It's not anything like that. So I do believe that there's an energy in each of us. And I would now think that that kind of survives after you die. So I'm still not spiritual or religious or anything like that, but I do believe that your your spirit survives, or you can call it whatever you want, your soul, your um, your energy or whatever that it survives, and that gives me comfort that that their their spirit has survived because what she told me had to come from the kids. She could not have known most of the stuff that she told me. Not a chance. And does that bring you comfort? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I um, I I wanted to learn more about it, and she explained a bit more, and and so I I, I as mentioned before, I I go into the grave. I I tend to go in quite a bit because I I I feel I can't pass the grave, and because it's only up the road, I tend to go in nearly every day. I try not to go in every day. In all honesty, um, I don't want to be there and if there's a day that I can't go up that I'm fretting that I can't go up but I, I do find myself going in nearly every day now but uh for me that's just to you know to leave fresh flowers or to tidy it up or whatever needs to be done but I, you know for me their spirit is is here it's probably you know I can picture the three of them over on the sofa there listening to dad talking a load of rubbish do you know it's it's that's what I kind of feel is that the yeah that their spirit is with me. So you have no plans to leave here because it's filled with so many memories and love? Well, actually, it was funny because that came up in the conversation with the uh, with the medium a few weeks ago and that they kind of said that, listen, you know, if you ever want to, to, to move or to leave the house, you know, we'll always be with you. Which, you know, like, when... When somebody says that to you, you go, ah, oh, are they just saying that? But there was no, there would be no reason for 
a medium to talk like that unless thoughts were in my head of, of staying in the house or thinking about leaving or whatever. But I mean, whether I do the, the, the projects in, in memory of the children here or whether I do it somewhere else, I, you know, I'm doing it for them. So I would believe that, yeah, their, their, their spirit is with me and, uh, yeah. For anyone listening who didn't know Connor or Dara or Carla, can you describe each of them and what their personalities were like? Ah, uh, there were, there were three, they were great friends for a start. Um, what sums it up for me, there's a clip that I put on Connor's clips on YouTube where Carla is dressed in her little fairy costume with her wings and her magic wand and she goes into the front room and the two lads were in there doing, uh, doing, I think they were watching telly or, or something. And, uh, she goes in and she goes, right, I'm, lads, I'm turning you into frogs. And you think the lads being in the middle of a program or doing something would just tell her, like, bugger off. Like, <laughs> but instead the two lads start hopping around like frogs. <laughs> and that for me summed up the relationship with the three of them is that they were just three great friends and that the love, the, the love between the three of them. And I, like I used to bring the three of them shopping and you think, I, I would see other people with their three kids out shopping and the kids would be at loggerheads. <laughs> Whereas my three would be kind of, I, I, there used to be a challenge about, you know, Connor finding the best price and Dara finding the best before date. And, uh, Carla was in charge of putting stuff into the trolley. Do you know, uh, I used to get them working together at, at, at that. And we said, you know, You'd say, "Ah, oh, right, we need to go shopping," and it'd be, oh. but they used to secretly enjoy it because the three of them were there uh, doing stuff together. But then their personalities were totally different. I mean, Connor uh, was—I—I I, I feel that himself and, and Dara were were destined for a creative career. Um, if anybody knows the YouTube channel, there's the uh, the the movie with Lego. We gave them an old camcorder that we had and they went upstairs and, and they were massive fans of Lego and they filmed a, a I think it's combined, I think it was a 10, a 10 section Lego movie, but when it's combined, it's about 45 minutes and it's all scenes of, uh, there's a battle going on between different Lego characters and the whole lot. And they even created a, an, an avalanche on the baddies layer from a, a white blanket that was upstairs and, and you just look at the imagination. I mean, we didn't see them for about three or four weeks as they were filming up in their bedrooms, the, the, their Lego movie. Uh, and then the comics that they wrote and I think they had great imaginations. Uh, so I've no doubt that they would have been uh, destined for a creative career, especially, um, especially Connor. Uh, as I said, he had the interest in the YouTube channel and, and online and, and film and, uh, and writing. Dara, I, I, I think he, as I say, he was, I will never forget when we moved in here, we were moving in and there was some kids out in the play, uh, out in the green out the front. And Dara was straight away out to them to let them know, uh, I'm Dara, how you doing? We're moving in. He was just such a, an outgoing personality. Um, whereas uh, Connor might have been a bit reserved, but the, the two of them were just comedians. They were really funny kids, and that's why I, I, I kind of think like that's how Connor's clips would have been. Uh, say we were looking at filming comedy sketches, um, and then Carla was her own little personality. She was just again 
she had the same sense of humor um she was just uh again busy around the house um this section of the house here was Carla's corner. This was uh, all her toys used to be in here, whereas uh, the front room was kind of uh, where the lads used to hang out with uh, all of their stuff, their Lego and their other bits and pieces. So, um, But uh, Carla would always be, if uh, I'd come in from work, um, I'd, I'd sit down the sofa and, and she, depending on what she was doing, she would want me to get involved straight away. So, you know, she had a little cookery kitchen that she used to be... Uh, so, you know, sit down there, Dad, now, I'm going to cook for you. And she would, you know, you'd end up getting the, the plastic plate with an imaginary cake on it or whatever. Uh, or she might say, um, oh, she wanted a story. And she'd come over and she'd be like, uh, I'd say to her, do you, wanna, uh, do you want me to read a book story or a, a daddy story? So a book story was that she would give me a book to read or a daddy story was that I'd just make something up. So that's why I'm looking forward to doing the kids books because I always enjoyed making up stories. And uh, it'd be like, oh, w what do you want the story about? And she'd go, oh, a carrot. And you'd have to make up a story about a carrot or a, or a snowman or a princess or whatever it was. But I used to love making up stories. You have shared treasured memories and pieces of your children's lives with the world. And you've done it in such a public way after losing them so tragically. Did you think about the reaction that you would receive when... You decided to do that. Well, for me, this these projects give the, the kids life, give them an existence. I mean, if I did nothing, people would have forgotten about them, in all honesty. Um, somebody actually sent me a message yesterday saying that they, they love what I do, but they can't follow me on social media. They find it difficult. So I, I wrote back saying, well, please understand that I do this for out of love and look on what I do on social media as that, as, as little acts of love every day. Um, and for me, as I say, it, it keeps their memories alive. It gives them, gives them life beyond their death. I just don't want them, uh, I just don't want them forgotten. So that's why, why I do it. Um, that and keeping the promises that I made to them. So yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's it's hard, but it's something that I'll do for the rest of my days. Um, but yeah, I, I I do know that some people yeah look and they and they it, it it does make them sad. But I, I I that's why I try not to make what I post sad. I put little uh, hopefully funny comments, um, uh, just to you know just to lighten it a bit. But I just Behind it all is that, you know, that they're not forgotten. But I, I, I hope people can realise that it's it's from a place of love and that, uh, yeah, that's what, uh, what I want to do for them. And the majority of people understand that and support you. But of course, like everything, there is that tiny minority, uh, those who decide to troll instead of sending positivity. I think there was an incident last month when you received a nasty message. I believe that account, which was run by a woman, is now suspended. How do you deal with trolls and nasty and abusive comments? 
see, I, I look on that as being, again, a, a, a mental health issue. Uh, I think if somebody feels that they need to make a negative comment about anything, um, you can disagree with people. You can have an opposing view to people. But it's the way you express that. Um, certainly, sh- back in 2020, shortly after the, the children died, there was a lot on Facebook that was very, there was a lot of vitriol about D, a lot of hate, a lot of just extremely hateful comments about, about Deirdre. Whereas I was, I suppose, still trying to formulate my, my, my thoughts on it, but, you know, I, I, I knew D as a, as a loving mother. So, you know, it, when you're reading comments like that and you're going, you, you, you don't know, they didn't know D, that they don't know the circumstances. So, and to go on social media and to, and to post comments, I felt was, was, uh, a lot of people should have just held fire. But then I do know that there's a small minority who just want to post comments uh, just to get reactions. Um, and that I feel is a, is a mental health issue. If somebody feels that they're putting a comment just to try and, and be hateful, I think that says more about that person's mental health and, and then, than anything else. It, it, they need, they need to seek support or help to try and fathom why they would think that that's f- a funny thing to do. Um, I see so many people, you know, like who have been trolled. Um, you know, one that springs to mind is Vicky Phelan, um, who, who has gone through a, an absolutely awful time. Uh, and to, to, to know that she was being trolled is just despicable. And I think it says more about the, the people doing that than, than anything else. It, it's, but you know, you, you, you need to try and rise above it. What I do, I do out of love for my children. Um, and, I'll continue to do that. Thank you again, Andrew, for taking the time to sit down, to talk, for being so open and for being so honest about your grieving process and the unimaginable loss that you've endured. We can never underestimate the power that these conversations can have. I want to wish you all the best with the legacy projects for Connor, Dara and Carla. I'll be supporting them, as will many, many others. And I have no doubt that each of those projects are going to make a huge difference. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, looking at looking at grief, we're, we're all different and we, we will all approach it differently. Um, this is, I suppose, how I'm approaching it is, is um, celebrating the lives of the kids is, is, is not the term I want to use, but it is recognizing that they they were here and they were they were, um, that they existed, you know, and that I don't want them forgotten. So what I want to do is to celebrate the lives that they had. And I, I'll do that through Connor's clips and, and through uh, Snowman for Carla and through As Dara did. So I'll continue doing that. And that's my way, I suppose, of, of coping and managing and, and putting one foot in front of the other. It may not work for, for everybody who has had loss. Um, 
But because uh, it's funny, uh, I, I hated taking advice. People say, oh, you should do this and you should do that and you should get a dog and you should. And I said, no, geez, I, I need to find my own way. Uh, so I hated taking advice, but um, so I don't like giving advice. <laughs> but <laughs> what I would say is that whoever is has has died, they don't want to see you sad. And that's, I know that for a fact. They, whoever has died, I don't think they want you mourning and, and, and just, you know, they, they would want you to, to move forward with, with, with life in a, in a happy and a positive way, if at all possible. So that's the only thing that I would say is that whoever has died does, does not want to see you sad. 